We'll hear argument today in Case 18-1334, the Financial Oversight and Management Board for Puerto Rico versus Aurelius Investment and the consolidated cases. Mr. Verrilli. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The question in this case is whether members of the Financial Oversight Board are officers of the United States who must be selected in the manner that the Appointments Clause prescribes, or whether they are instead territorial officers who do not have to be selected in that manner. The Constitution's text, structure, and history in this Court's precedents all make clear that the proper focus in answering that question is the nature of the authority the Board exercises. It comes down to whether Congress has vested the Board with the executive power of the national government or instead vested the Board with the territorial executive power. The statute that created the Board, PROMESA, answers that question in a straightforward way. It it sets up an entity within the territorial government It gives the Board only territory-specific authority and instructs the Board to pursue only territory-specific objectives. The Board acts on behalf of Puerto Rico as its representative in judicial proceedings to restructure the territory's debts. It pursues only Puerto Rico's interests in those proceedings. It's up to the Article III Court that adjudicates those proceedings to balance all the competing interests. Congress also instructed the Board to implement a method for restoring fiscal stability. That, too, is territorial authority. It reaches only Puerto Rico's budgeting and fiscal planning, and the Board must exercise that authority in a manner that protects Puerto Rico's vital vital interests. Now, Congress did build in protections to guarantee the Board's independence. Congress did that because it concluded that Puerto Rico's staggering financial and humanitarian crisis could not be solved unless the Board was insulated from the political pressures that caused that crisis in the first place. But Congress also insulated the Board from federal control. Board members can be removed only for cause, which means that the President cannot remove them based on disagreement with the Board's policies or priorities in implementing PROMESA. When you put all that together, The board is in the territorial government. It's been given statutory directives to uh, advance the interests of Puerto Rico, and it's insulated from federal control. It's clear that board members are territorial officials, not officers. How can that be, Mr. Verrilli? Um, It seems to me that your very argument that it's independent is suggesting it can't belong to the territory and that there's a serious problem and the federal government is creating an entity that no one can control. Neither Congress nor the President can remove this entity for anything but cause. Tell me how this differs from a U.S. attorney. A U.S. attorney is an officer of the United States. I think you accept that. A U.S. attorney is enforcing federal law in Puerto Rico, the U.S. attorney of Puerto Rico, just the way PROMESA is. And a U.S. attorney doesn't have jurisdiction outside of Puerto Rico. So how is the U.S. attorney different? So let me make a general point, and I'll specifically answer the U.S. attorney question. The general point, I think it's important to make clear, we don't say, contrary to our friends on the other side, that the Appointments Clause doesn't apply in Puerto Rico. It applies in Puerto Rico just like it applies in a state, in that federal officials, officials who are part of the federal government, have to be appointed in conformity with the appointments clause, could you including do this? Could the you U.S. Pass attorney. A, could you pass — could Congress pass a law um, like PROMESA for a state? 
No, I don't think so, because the difference between that situation and this situation is Article 4. And I really think that gets to the heart of the matter, Justice Sotomayor, that I think the the beef that my friends on the other side have is not with the Appointments Clause. It's with Article 4. And the difference between this situation and a state is that Congress has reserved authority under Article 4 to alter the structure of a territorial government and to prescribe territorial law. It's subsequent territorial law. Give a, at least a quick answer to sure. the first part I, of Justice I, Sotomayor's be, question. Yes, of course. The difference, I think, the key, the key difference between a U.S. attorney and the board is that the U.S. attorney is executing laws of nationwide application, the, the U.S. Criminal Code, Title 18. And the U.S. attorney in Puerto Rico, in that respect, is no different than the U.S. attorney in New York. The board does not implement laws of nationwide application. It implements a but law. But all laws don't have nationwide application, even federal laws. Some federal laws have local application as opposed to national. They're still federal law because they were passed by Congress and they're federal dictates. This is no different for the U.S. attorney. Um, I I do think it's different in a fundamental way, Your Honor. It is territory-specific. It applies only to the territory of Puerto Rico, and the board's authority is to is to act in the interest of the territory of Puerto Rico in the in the uh, well, Mr. Verrilli, I mean, j- suppose that um, Congress looks at Florida, and it says that there are a lot of hurricanes there, and the waters are rising, and we have a terrible Florida problem, and Congress passes the Florida Reclamation Act, and it's supposed to deal with uh, f- uh, you know the Florida problem that it perceives, but uses federal law to do so. Would you say that I think the, your, your uh, phrase was the executive power of the national government? Would the head of the agency that the Florida Reclamation Act sets up be exercising the executive power of the national government? Yes. And the difference is — I'm sorry, Your Honor. No, I was just going to say, what is the difference? The difference, and difference is, <laughs> the difference is that — that Congress has dual authority with respect to the territories to act under Article I uh, with nation, laws of nationwide application, which are enforced by federal officials. For example, there's a FEMA regional administrator, there's an EPA regional administrator. They're all appointed in conformity with the requirements of the Appointments Clause, but it has dual authority. It can also act as a territorial legislature, in, and under Article IV, it has plenary authority to do so. Well, how do we so, know — which, which authority it's using? Well, you look, I, I think you, as, I, I, we think Palmore is the relevant precedent there. And I think what you do is you look to two things. First, what, is it, what does Congress say it's doing? Here Congress said expressly we're invoking Article 4 and we're creating an entity in the territorial government. That's the language what, of the statute. What, what entity the argument, in, Mr. Varelli, you started with this is, an, this is an entity within the Puerto Rico government. The argument on the other side is no, it's not within, it's above. It's above the Puerto Rican government. That is, it's above the legislature and the governor. Yes, and that's and, and that's simply an incorrect characterization. I think it misinterprets independence for superintendence. And I think if you think about it, um, it's just not right to say that what you've got here is a federal overlord or a federal master in the language of, of the First Circuit. Because think about what Congress did here. First, 
It said that the, that the board's authority is territory specific. And then it said that the board is supposed to act on behalf of Puerto Rico and represent Puerto Rico in the restructuring proceedings. It's not supposed to advance the broad interests of the United States. It advances Puerto Rico's interests. And similarly, with respect to its well, budget. W- wasn't Congress thinking about the broad interests of the United States? I mean, here it was. It was looking at this terrible financial crisis in Puerto Rico and considering a wide variety of options to address that crisis. Now, one option could have been some kind of financial bailout. Congress didn't want to do that. It instead chose an option that had less financial cost for the American people as a whole. So, you know, why shouldn't we think that Congress, in enacting this piece of legislation, was not thinking about it through uh, a broad national lens? First, I think what matters is what Congress did not what the motivations of individual legislatures were in moving forward with what Congress did. Second, the best evidence of what Congress did is the statute itself, where it made a choice to create an entity in Puerto Rico, and it instructed it to act on behalf of Puerto Rico. And even with respect to its budgeting authority, it said, when you do your budgeting and fiscal planning, You've got to ensure that there's adequate funding for essential services in Puerto Rico, adequate funding for the Puerto Rico pension plan, adequate funding for economic development in Puerto Rico. It told this board to act for Puerto Rico. Counsel, what if we don't think it's an all or nothing uh, division when you look at the responsibilities of the board? I mean, certainly much of it has to do with territorial issues, but you can certainly appreciate congressmen viewing this obviously as something with nationwide significance. So to some extent it's dealing with territorial issues, to some extent it's dealing with issues of broader national significance. What happens to your case in that instance? I think it's — I think the answer is the same, because what matters is the power that Congress chose to invoke and the way in which Congress chose to act. And what Congress did here was tell the board the way to address this problem is by acting in the interests of Puerto Rico. And then it also insulated the board from federal control through the four costs. May I ask you, if we had the original act setting up the U.S. Attorney for Puerto Rico and Congress changed only one label of the three Palomar factors, same factual situation as exists now, except that it says we're doing it under the territorial clause. You're suggesting that that's enough reason for why? Absolutely absolutely not, Your Honor. And that's why the third factor in Palmore is the critical one. You have to look at the nature of the authority that the office is executing. All right. Now let me ask you how you can label this a territorial officer as opposed to a federal officer handling a, a federal issue, a federal mandate, when none of the people of Puerto Rico have voted in any way to on any of the directives that this agent has received, I, I understand that point, Your Honor. But again, I don't think that has anything to do with the appointments clause. There is no doubt under this court's precedence starting two centuries ago, and as recently as Sanchez Valle, that the Congress has reserved authority to act at the territorial level and to Certainly, change the structure no of territorial government and to change there's the no substance. Fight. There's no fight there. The issue is where do you draw a line between what's a federal officer and what's a territorial officer? And, I think and the issue has to be 
that when Congress chooses, it's Congress's choice. If the territory chooses, if it elects a governor, if it elects legislature, if it elects um, its own uh, uh, attorney general, that those are officers that Puerto Rico have selected. But if the federal government is making the selection and imposing it on a territory, it has to be a federal officer. I, that's, I, I, that, I think that's just not right on numerous levels, No, it's levels, too Your simplistic Honor. for and, you. I, no, I, I, no, no, no. The <laughs> main, that, one of the, the main reasons that which everybody it's not right, I think, is that it's not consistent with the history of this country. And if you start with the mayor of Washington in 1802, now, admittedly, it's the Enclave Clause, not the Territories Clause, but the Court has said that there are provisions that should be read in the same way. If you, if you start with that, the mayor of Washington was appointed was you know, Congress created the position of mayor of Washington that, that's for a statute? One, I mean, that's one example. But the other side says the historical practice is uh, otherwise overwhelming in, up until about the 1950s of saying that territorial officers had to be appointed by the president with the advice and consent of the Senate. So how do we deal with that historical practice? You do have the mayor example, so it's not uniform. But how do we deal with that historical practice? Two points. First, on the mayor. I think the mayor of Washington is ex an extremely significant historical marker because, after all, the presidents who made those appointments every year during that period were Jefferson and Madison. And if they had thought that, there, that the appointments clause applied in a situation like that, certainly I, we would I have agree heard with about you. that. I agree with you. It's and now with but the, assume the yeah, history but, is still — But with respect to — the history they have essentially is that territorial governors up until uh, the 1950s were appointed with advice and consent. And judges. But, and territorial judges. But I actually think that — let's go right to the judges' point, because I think that actually proves our position and not theirs, because even though territorial judges were always um, uh, nominated by the President, confirmed by the Senate, this Court held, starting in Cantor and then also in Engelbrecht and McAllister, that they weren't judicial officers of the United States, despite the fact that the President nominated them and the Senate confirmed them. And then to reinforce that, there have been three times in the country's history where uh, a question arose about whether a territorial judge could be impeached by Congress. And in each of those three instances, the political branches concluded that a territorial judge could not be impeached because a territorial judge was not a civil officer of the United States, but only an officer of the territory exercising territorial power. Now, with respect to the governors, of course, you know, the, the appointments clause is not an either-or proposition. If it applies to the, the governors as principal officers, it applies to the people the governor appoints as inferior officers. But starting with the Northwest Ordinance and continuing throughout the country's history, inferior officers have been appointed in manners that don't comply with the appointments is clause. It, does, does it strike you as a little strange, Mr. Varelli, to use the history in this kind of case so extensively? I mean, first, it's a little bit all over the map, and you each have your historical examples to point to. But second, the position of territories currently is so different from the position of territories throughout much or most of our history. So I, I guess it seems to me more natural rather than to look to, you know, what the Northwest Ordinance did is, is simply to use a kind of functional test and say, are these people um, uh, doing the sorts of things that would be done by state officials uh, in states or are they doing the sorts of things that would be done by federal officials? So two things. First, respectfully, we think 
in interpreting the meaning of the phrase officer of the United States, which is the job that has to be done in this case, the history is very, very relevant. But second, even if one takes a functional analysis, I think the right way to look at the functional analysis is to look at the, what the Board is actually charged with doing. And what the Board is actually charged with doing is acting in the shoes of the Government of Puerto Rico and the restructuring proceedings and acting as an independent entity insulated from political pressure within the budgeting proceedings, but, but constrained by statute to act on behalf of, in the interest of, for the territory. So if you're well, going to use a functional approach, they're very much like a state government, not a federal overlord. And I think this would actually be kind of a crazy system if what you wanted to do was create a federal overlord to say, you're a federal overlord, take the national interest to ac- into account, but uh, when you actually administer the, the authority you have, you have to only we focus on territorial interests. What do we do about the brief of, at least there's one amicus that suggests that in one of the litigations that's ongoing with respect to PROMESA, that there's all sorts of evidence that the board is taking directives from federal officials. So, I, you know, that's brief, I, you know, respectfully, Your Honor. Uh, I, I think that shows the perils of relying on an amicus brief that relies on extra record information. The vast majority of those of the, the documents there have not been disclosed, but if I may talk about them because I've been asked about them, the the — the vast majority of those are communications from federal government officials to the board in the wake of the disasters and the hurricanes saying we need information about what's going on on the ground here. And so it was was informational, the overwhelming majority of them. Now, they did find one communication from a Senate staffer, I think, or a House staffer, I think a Senate staffer, saying we want you to resolve issue X this way. Again, I've got to be outside the record to to, uh, answer that, but basically the board told them to pound sand. And so I don't think there's any merit to it whatsoever. Thank you, counsel. General Wall. (coughs) Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. We know that Congress expressly invoked its authority over the territories and placed the board within the Puerto Rican government. So the real question here is, was that choice constitutional under Article 4? It was. The board budgets and restructures debt only for Puerto Rico. It acts in the territory under a territory-specific statute. In our view, Mr. Chief Justice, the board's focus is exclusively local, but at a minimum, it's primarily local, which is the appropriate test under Palmore. Justice Kagan, Congress could have legislated directly. It could have put this in the Treasury Department. If it hadn't otherwise specified, the powers would have gone to the Assembly and the Governor with respect to restructuring the debt and representing the Commonwealth in these Title III proceedings. It didn't want that. It wanted new and independent territorial officers on the ground in Puerto Rico to resolve the fiscal crisis, as it had with the D.C. Control Board 20 years earlier. That's what a was re- the position the government took for the D.C. Control Board? So uh, they point to a D.C. Circuit brief in the second set of proceedings. We said in that brief, after this court had held it's exercising federal power with respect to federal property, we said, sure, it's federal, but I, I urge the court to look at the brief. We said if it had been acting with respect to D.C., it would have been different because that would have been local power. I think the same is true with respect to the territories. We drew a distinction in that very brief between federal power over federal property and local power with respect to the district or here the territories. So I, I think our position has been entirely consistent. As early as 18- I don't see how. I mean, you say federal power over 